We're going to start the message with uh, reading a fairly familiar passage from Matthew um, about the wise men. But before we begin that, I'd like to thank again everyone who helped with the Back to Bethlehem presentation yesterday. It was such a blast. And you'll see a few souvenirs from the day, uh, little bits and pieces of the 32 bales of straw that we borrowed from Amazing Corn. Uh, just a couple of souvenirs. So if you see them, and if they really bother you, feel free to pick them up. Because, I don't know if you know, if you're familiar with Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a monk about six or seven hundred years ago. Wrote an amazing book called Practicing the Presence of God. And he loved God so much, he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, but he had a lovely heart for God who drew people just like a magnet, just like bees to honey. And he had such a good attitude towards God that he says, anything I do serves God. Anything I do glorifies God. So he, was, he said literally in his journal, I'm well pleased even to pick up a piece of straw off the floor for God. So feel free to imitate Brother Lawrence in the next hour or so. If you see some laying around, little bits and pieces in here, go for it. All right, let's uh, read our scripture together. Uh, sorry, I'll read it to you, all right? <laughs> After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. I'll explain this later. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him too. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Praise God for his word. Now tell me, this is a story I just read you right from the Bible, straight from scripture, okay? Now tell me, what's wrong with this story? Now, I'm not picking pieces, I'm not, I don't have an issue with the Bible, but something seems a little bit off about this story. Or maybe it's the way the, our, our Hallmark cards present it. There's something a little bit off. Uh, by the way, um, on the Manulite building, do they still have the three wise men and the camels up this year? Yes? Yes? Okay. Great West, I'm sorry. Woo, dear. Sorry, any apologies to anyone who works for Great West? I apologize. Okay. All right. Obviously, Great West is far superior to manual life. What was I thinking? Okay, so it, it's great that they have the three camels and the three wise men there. 
brilliant. I'm glad that political correctness has not overwhelmed Great West life. Imagine that. But there's a couple of things in our common understanding of the wise men that are just a little bit off. First of all, of course, we don't exactly know how many there were, right? Because there were three gifts, people just assumed three guys on camels all by themselves. This is probably more, a little bit more of what it looked like. Literally an entourage of uh, court astrologers from the Persian Empire at the time coming to Jerusalem. Why? Because six or seven hundred cent, uh, years before, Daniel, if you remember that story from the Old Testament, Daniel had been very, very influential in the Persian Empire. And the Jew, whole Jewish nation had been so influential there in Persia that these Persians started looking for something big to happen in Judea. They knew something was going to happen. And just by literally by looking at the stars, we didn't know exactly what the star of Bethlehem was. It might have been, if you were here, if you were here yesterday at Back to Bethlehem, does anybody remember what the star of Bethlehem might have been? Come on, some of you were here. And there's some of you, some of you was, pardon? It was straw. The star? Okay, I missed that part of the star. Okay, that's okay. When I was, when I was, when I was peeking in on the wise men, they were talking about the star of Bethlehem being, maybe, being, the, the planets Saturn and Jupiter really, really, really close together. So that with the naked eye, instead of two stars, two bright planets, you actually see this jumbo star gleaming in the horizon. And anyway, it's, it's a long story. There are other theories about what this amazing event was. It was certainly uh, supernatural, the way it guided them. But God is not pleased with astrology in general. He doesn't want you going to your horoscope to predict what's going to happen. And to be honest, if you analyze those horoscopes, I think they just kind of shuffle around. You might have an interesting encounter today. Well, yeah, sure. You look for an interesting encounter or you might be faced with an, you know, a tough business decision. Well, of course you go and have a tough business decision. I mean, I'm not sure if they get them out of fortune cookies or where they write these things, but Yes, I'm deliberately mocking horoscopes because they're an affront to God and they're a wrong way of trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future. We need to trust God and stay away from astrology because it's not just a, a waste of time. It's anti-God. So there's my little rant. So you understand why God detests astrology or anything to do with the occult, okay? Anything to do with that. He says, stay away from that. You have no idea how much trouble you are opening yourself to just by dabbling in this stuff so stay away from it so here's the irony of christmas that this large entourage of persian astrologers come looking for the king of the jews in judea it's very ironic okay and so we had the wrong people the, the wise men probably look like three, these three characters. They, you know, weren't exactly what we think of in our Hallmark uh, Christmas cards. So it was the wrong people. They were Persians. They were Gentiles. They weren't Jewish. They weren't from the Jewish faith at all. They probably didn't know a whole lot of the, you know, the commandments or the Jewish teaching, but they, they were drawn 
to search for Jesus, even in their situation, even though they were, and when I say wrong, I, I'm, I'm kind of putting italics with it, okay? I'm using a little bit of just gentle sarcasm there, saying they were the wrong kind of people, right? Okay. They used the wrong method. Again, God is against astrology, but why would he use it? God uses different methods to get a hold of people's attention. Not that he recommends it. I met a young woman once when I was in university. She became drawn to Jesus because two Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on their doors. Now, God is not really endorse everything that the Kingdom Hall or the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, but it stirred up some kind of a spiritual curiosity in her that started her on the right path, finding Jesus. And maybe if we compared notes here, I'm sure that many of us started our search for Jesus stimulated maybe by other things that God may not have approved of or endorsed in the Bible, but God will use any method in his kindness to, to stir up a spiritual hunger in us and get us looking. So God, in this situation, used what the Persian astrologers were familiar with to begin to draw them to Jesus. And all this had happened hundreds of years before. It's kind of amazing. Okay, so the wrong people, the wrong method, they were in the wrong place. They were in the wrong place. They were in Persia. Um, if you just follow the, the yellow line, you see they were, what we think the um, wise men or the magi came from would be modern-day Iran or Iraq, somewhere in the Euphrates River Valley, which is a long way from Bethlehem, a very long way. It would have taken weeks or months to prepare, and then definitely weeks or months, perhaps at least three months, I heard yesterday in the wise men tent, it took probably about three months of traveling to, to get there. And it wasn't just three guys on camels. I think it was a whole entourage. It was like a, um, a national delegation to go and pay homage to a king. It wasn't like three great uncles showing up to visit a new baby nephew, you know? Like it was a big political event. And the reason Herod was so upset and so disturbed is that this, the center of the Persian Empire was butted up right against the Roman Empire and the Jews were right in the middle, okay? Judea was a scrubby little borderland country always rebelling against the Romans, always in trouble. And the Romans had put Herod in place, the corrupt, wicked ruler, just to keep an an iron fist just to clamp down on the Jewish people so they wouldn't misbehave, they would not rebel. So Herod needed to maintain control at all costs. Do you have anyone like that in your life? Someone who needs to maintain control at all costs? No names, please. But that's what Herod was like. So you can understand why he was, quote-unquote, disturbed when all of a sudden this large foreign delegation from the superpower next door shows up in his neighborhood, in the capital city, saying, hey, where's the king? Where's the new king? And Herod's saying, wait a minute, I'm the king around here. What do you think you are? I'm the king. Can you imagine? And the story also says when Herod was disturbed, the whole city was disturbed. If Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. That's what was happening in Jerusalem. Everyone was trembling because they thought, what is this 
tyrant, this, he really was a homicidal maniac. I'm not embellishing the story. Because if you read later in Matthew, you read the terrible thing that he inflicted on all the young families in Bethlehem, trying to wipe out any trace of Jesus, any, any trace of competition. It was horrible. So this person, Herod, was so upset and so disturbed at this news. And of course, he tries to trick the wise men, saying, okay, tell us you know, where he's going to be. I want to worship him too. Yeah, right. So here's the irony of the, the story of the wise men. Wrong people, wrong method, wrong place. So what does that tell us? It tells us that God reveals himself to unlikely people in unlikely ways in unlikely places. Aren't you glad that God operates that way? God is not looking at your resume. He's not looking your, at your application to come into his family. All right? Isn't that brilliant? Because, you know, it's not like you have to interview to get into God's family. God reveals himself to unlikely people in unlikely ways, in unlikely places. Praise his name. I wish we had time today to share some of our stories because I think the stories that we would share would really go along with the sentence up here in the screen. Unlikely people, unlikely ways, unlikely places. Why? Why does God work that way? Well, because his kingdom's upside down to ours. We look at people's uh, privilege and, and the outside. God looks on their inside. We can look at someone and say, wow, they really have it all together. You know, those people on the cover of the news magazines at the end of the year, whoever the, the person of the year is or the top 50 people, as McLean's, I was quoting a couple of weeks ago in, in McLean's magazine, The Power 50 or whatever. We can look at those people and say, wow, they really have it all together. But that's society standards. That's not God's standards because he looks on the inside, right? So what's the difference? What was the difference between the wise men and there's a cast of characters in the story that we read today that I haven't really mentioned yet. We talked about King Herod and how wicked he was. When King Herod wanted to find out, okay, well, where is this baby? Where is this baby king these guys are talking about? He consults with who? Who does he talk to? Yeah, the teachers of the law, all the religious so-called experts the guys who knew the Bible, and they knew the scripture, and they knew exactly. So they go to their little database, and they say, oh yeah, right, Bethlehem of Judea, yeah, that's where the Messiah's going to come from. Yeah, probably Bethlehem, yep, that's it, good. Just, you know, eight kilometers down the road, Bethlehem, yep, that's it. Well, so what? Did they do anything? Did these religious teachers do anything with this knowledge? Not that we know of. They just reported to Herod. And of course, Herod plotted his revenge on this little village of Bethlehem. And all these little baby boys were wiped out. But I don't think these religious leaders who should have known everything. Now think about it carefully. Think about these, home, these, these religious leaders. They had what I would call home field advantage in this situation, right? They didn't have to travel for months and months. Eight kilometers would take yeah, a couple hours stroll, you know, to go visit, go see if the Messiah really had been born in Bethlehem. So convenient. I mean, come on, that's an easy commute. 
Even if you walk slow, it's a two-hour stroll to Bethlehem, right? They had, they were the right people. They were in God's, theoretically in God's family. They had all the teaching and tradition behind them. They, they just knew at the drop of a hat, oh yeah, Messiah's going to come for Bethlehem. Boop. They didn't have to consult the stars or anything else. They just knew. They consulted the scripture, which is the right method, right? So they were the right people. They were the right, had the right method. They were in the right place. But they missed the boat. So close and yet so far. That's one of the saddest things I found about this story. That these people who should have known better, they should have been looking for Messiah to come. And if any strange rumors had popped out of Bethlehem, even if it was a bunch of mangy, unlikely shepherds talking about seeing something in the night sky and a baby being born in that little place, don't you think they should? If they had been looking for God, don't you think they would have noticed something? Even if it was so unlikely? I think these religious leaders were so wrapped up in their own agenda, their personal agenda, and actually, they had an agenda for God. We see that later when Jesus confronts them directly. They, they weren't open to what God was trying to say at all. So the difference between those folks who are unlikely and likely, these, these two categories, the, the wise men and the local religious leaders, the difference is all, it's all in our attitude towards God. It's all in our attitude towards God. The wise men, the Magi, had so much hunger for reality, for spiritual reality. They were looking at the stars, but they knew that wasn't quite it. There's someone that we need to pay an homage to. There's someone that we need to go and worship. And they invested a lot of money in this trip and a lot of money in these gifts for this king that they hadn't even met yet. But they've been trusting, just hanging on to applying to just what little bit of spiritual truth they knew, trying to apply it in their search for God. The religious leaders in Jerusalem. You know what their reaction to the Messiah was? Meh. Meh. That was their reaction. Indifference. Okay. Spiritual passivity versus faith. That's, that's, the issue, that's what the issue here in this story. Spiritual passivity, demonstrated by the religious leaders, versus the faith of the wise men, who actually went out into the unknown, relative unknown, willing to pursue things, willing to pursue God and follow what truth they knew, willing to apply what truth they knew. Truth applied is truth. Truth in theory, it just stays in theory. You've got to apply what you know. To get anywhere in life and to, and to pursue a relationship with God, you must apply what you know. So spiritual passivity it says in Zephaniah chapter 1, God hates it. I will search with lanterns in Jerusalem in darkest corners to punish those who sit complacent in their sins. They think the Lord will do nothing to them, either good or bad. These religious leaders in Jerusalem at Herod's time were spiritually passive. Their reaction to news of Jesus' birth is like, meh. We'll keep Herod happy, but we won't go ourselves and look, even though we know where Bethlehem is. It's, they, they, they didn't go check it out at all. They were spiritually passive. How sad. And for people who purported to have a relationship with God, 
in fact, were proud of their spiritual heritage, it was a pathetic response. So we're left with the question, what is faith? We don't want to be spiritual passive, spiritually passive. What does faith look like? How does the Bible define it? It defines it like this. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. The wise men had faith and they acted on their faith. This is even more significant. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who comes to him must believe, number one, that God exists, and number two, that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Okay? Number one, God exists. Number two, that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Think about this for a minute as we apply it to the story of the wise men. The wise men were sincerely seeking God even though they were the wrong people using the wrong method and they came from the wrong place, they were sincerely seeking God. And God is a rewarder of those who sincerely seek him, right? They found what they were looking for. And when they found him, when they found the baby, what did they do? They worshipped. Now, wait a minute. Now, now, these are Persian astrologers, okay? They don't come from the right spiritual heritage, they're not from the right neighborhood, they don't speak the right language, they look different. They worshipped him. That is amazing. I'm going to go just slightly off course and tell you about some cool things happening in another city in Canada that I really can't tell you. I've been asked not to distribute the emails. But I can tell you some amazing stories about people from Muslim faith having dreams about Jesus and Jesus is meeting them. It's so amazing. Outreach to these Muslim people. And there's a group of Canadian Christians committed to reaching people in this highly Muslim neighborhood. They're giving away DVDs and Christmas hampers and just loving their neighbors. And one by one, people are responding to Jesus. And often, God is revealing himself to Muslims through dreams, especially during the time of Ramadan where people are fasting and they're, they're on a spiritual quest and God finds them. They're looking for God, but God finds them. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that encouraging? Wrong people. We would say, oh, wrong people. Wrong method, wrong place. But God is finding them. Just like the story of these Persian astrologers here. It's so encouraging that God is doing this. And some of the emails I've read recently, this lady says, I dreamed that someone gave me a Bible. And in the hamper, there was a Bible in her language. God will use dreams. He would prefer to use Christians, but if the Christians are too lazy or complacent or fearful or whatever, he will use whatever method he needs to use to draw people into his kingdom. And fortunately, there's a small band of Christians in that particular community who are committed to loving Muslims into the kingdom. Isn't that great? Even though they're the wrong people, wrong method, wrong place, God loves to choose unlikely people and invite them into his family. God is a rewarder of those who sincerely seek him. If you're looking for God, I got to warn you, he's liable to find you. You get it? It's a little bit like the mouse looking for the cat. That's all right. You just keep looking for the cat and the cat's going to find you and it's going to be good. Okay? God will find you. Just like the wise men.
The difference is all in our attitude towards God. Are we sincerely seeking Him? Are we willing to lay aside our agenda for our life? What is so sad about this story is that the people with hometown advantage, home field advantage, the people who knew the scripture best, the people who lived closest to Bethlehem, the people from the right cultural background missed the boat. They completely missed the boat. Now I'm pausing because I'm not sure how to tactfully apply that to people who have been longtime members of Elam Chapel. Okay? I don't want to make you fearful. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to criticize you. But I'm just wondering, does this shoe fit you today? Does this situation fit you? Have you been here a long time and you know a fair bit about the Bible, at least in your head, are you sincerely seeking God? You don't say to somebody, it would be very foolish uh, to say to someone that you're married to for 40 years, the first day you're married, I love you, and never say anything again. You can say, well, I didn't change my mind. I meant it 40 years ago, but it's a relationship, right? So some of us, I'm wondering, some of us may be coasting on what happened in the past and not walking with Jesus day by day. So today would be a great time to reconnect with him and begin to sincerely seek him, okay? I've got nobody in mind. I don't have an axe to grind with anybody here. I'm not thinking of anyone particular when I say this. I'm just throwing it out there because odds are there's someone out there who may have been a Christian or call themselves a Christian for a long time who's just kind of gotten dry and tired and worn out and they don't know exactly what to do or how do I reconnect with God? Well, first of all, you do it with the right attitude and you sincerely seek Him. And to do that, what you're going to need is to repent of all your agenda and expectations of God. God, I want you, you know, you and I can have a relationship, but you need to do these several things. And if you do your part of the bargain, I'll do mine. You, you don't mess with the creator of the universe like that. You, you, you just don't. It's absolutely foolish. The wise men didn't say, okay, baby Jesus, let's negotiate. You know, if you meet my expectations, oh, yeah, sure, we'll worship you. It's been a long trip. Really tired of sitting on those camels, you know, but... You know, if you meet my expectations, I'll worship you. You don't come to God like that. You sincerely seek, seek Him and say, Lord, I'll lay aside everything that's blocking the way. What do you need to do in my life? Break down any barriers between you and me. So, and that's, that's called repenting. Let's just go clear in the decks, wiping the, swipe, the, the slate clean so that God can work in our lives. Okay. I want to ask you this question today. What is my attitude towards God today? What's my attitude? Where do I fit into this story? There's uh, the wise men who are passionate in their spiritual search, right? They're just looking for spiritual reality and they will stop at nothing to get there. It doesn't matter how much time and money and inconvenience it costs them. And even though they're unlikely people using unlikely methods from unlikely places, God meets them, okay? 
Or some people respond with such hatred towards Jesus, like Herod did. It's awful. But in this story, the majority response seems to be the spiritual passivity that the religious leaders fall into. They hear about Jesus and they go, meh, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Not for my sake, but for your sake, for our sake. Don't respond to Jesus with indifference. Either be hot or cold. But, you know, if, if you're lukewarm towards Jesus, ugh, you know, it's, it's, it's repulsive. Either be hot or cold. Be somewhere with Jesus, okay? And if you've got questions, if you've got skepticism, if you're not sure about things, that's fine. God is so much bigger than all your doubts and fears and grudges and bitterness and addictions and whatever's holding you back. God is so much bigger than that. I really encourage you to be like the wise men and have the right kind of hunger and almost a desperation to connect with Jesus this Christmas. Because if you, if you come to him with an attitude like that, he will meet you. He will find you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the story of the wise men. There were such unlikely people to come and worship you. And we're probably going to swap stories in heaven. That would be awesome. To hear what inspired them to make this trip and to come and worship you. Father, they kind of, they, uh, kind of set the bar for us. There are many of us, some of us anyway here, who are complacent in our faith. We're spiritually passive and we want to repent of that. We want to pursue you. We want a relationship with you. Not just a handshake, but we want to know you. So I pray that your spirit would be working in us this morning to reveal the truth about Jesus in our inner parts. It's December in Canada. It's a crazy time of spending money and eating too much and getting stressed out. But I pray that you'd help us to center on what's really important and that we would find you and that you would find us. Father, I pray that this church would be known as a place where people can meet the living God. Help us to be a part of that. We pray these things confidently in Jesus' name. Amen. The song that we're going to close with today is called the Huron Carol. It's probably, as far as I know, it's probably oldest Christmas carol written in North America. And the reason I asked the team to lead us to close the service in it today because it does talk about those wise men or chiefs coming to, to worship Jesus. And Gitchi Manitou in the first uh, verse is a creator God that we worship, right? So don't let that throw you off. Uh, the Huron people tragically were mostly wiped out with, with colonization, but we're so fortunate to have this one Christmas carol left as a legacy of how Jesus reaches out to people.